Episode 35 of The Passive Hang. It's Fayon here. Remember, check out the website, thepassivehang.com, where I've got the podcasts, I'm sharing videos, and now I'm writing informational guides for all you movement enthusiasts. Check it out now on thepassivehang.com. Thanks, guys, for joining in once again. It's another episode of The Passive Hang, and I've got round two with Glenn Robson, who joined us previously on the group episode with Aspen Coaching, which is really cool to connect with the three of you there. Um, And uh, we decided to hook up back together because I think there's been a lot of interesting things happening on Glenn's side, including I think you've just recently announced that you're going to become a father. So very much congratulations. Thank you very much. And thought it'd just be yeah, a good time to connect and then get a bit deeper into your story, your background, and maybe your yeah, v- views on training and how that affects uh, your views on life as well. And what I really enjoyed is when we we're going back and forth in the messaging beforehand is you mentioned something to me, which was that your spirit animal is a domestic cat. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah. I know this is a movement sort of podcast, but this is too interesting to sort of skip over. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the um, the domestic cat thought process has been uh, has been a bit of a joke that I've had with with people for a while. But um, I think with COVID, um, with global warming, with like all this, like the I guess the unrest in the US and all that kind of stuff, like I've become acutely aware of how dependent I am on a stable society to survive. Like mm. I. I source my food from a supermarket. Like I, I sleep in, um, in a, in a rental house. Like I, it's the protection that the, the environment in which I'm, I'm living affords me that makes me feel safe and stable with, but that all turned on its head properly. And it was like an apocalyptic style scenario. I think I very quickly realized my limitations. <laughs> so yeah, I think looking at like the the domestic cat, it gets to sleep all day, it gets fed food, it meows when it wants to cuddle, and it gets like pampered. And when it wants to go crazy, it can. But at the, at the same time, it's not exactly like a, a cougar or a puma or something like a bit more vicious and a bit more scary and a bit more capable. So yeah, I'm coming to coming to terms with the fact that my spirit animal is indeed a domestic cat, and that I'm not quite as hardcore as maybe I thought I was in the past and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so you know domestic cats sometimes like escape out during the night go on these unknown sort of adventures is this also something that you like to foray into i wouldn't have thought so now once upon a time maybe once upon a time maybe but definitely not these days i think that's like um i think the domestic cat thing like the the fact that they still have that wildness to them or whatever else is is kind of um not so much appealing, but it's just like, it makes you feel like a, a cat can still potentially fuck you up if it wanted to, or it can control itself in a way that's like graceful and beautiful, like way more than human beings. Like we're, we're not very good at like walking. We, we have headphones and we don't pay attention to stuff. Whereas a cat like generally is doing exactly wants it, what it wants to do when it's doing it. And I think that I, I kind of envy that a little bit. I'd love to be able to sort of tap into that side of life a little bit more. Mm. And do you ever like picture that those sort of like, you know, a lot of people sometimes gather inspiration from animal movements or animal sort of energies and put that into their movement practices. Do you use similar sort of methods sometimes? 
Um, I think the the one with the cat would definitely be the soft landings and soft feet. And I guess the the grace and body control that you would see from that. But when you look at any animal, like um, there's not too many animals, I think, that move the way that humans move. Like we're quite unique in the fact that we walk on two legs and we're able to do the things that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we have a lot of uh, vulnerability as human beings as well. Like if you compare us to say like a, like a crocodile or a turtle, like we're quite soft skinned, like we're quite vulnerable. It's the, it's the use of tools that's made us be able to move and adapt and be the way that we are. Mm -hmm. Um, And then obviously the fact that we shape our environment, but in terms of like moving like specific animals, like there's, there's definitely like a grace and a beauty in every animal in the way it moves because every animal is only moving exactly how it needs to within its environment. Mm. And that's one thing that I think is, uh, is really nice, but definitely not specific things that I flow into, into my movement or my dance or anything. No. It's funny that we have this awareness and that then we can control our bodies to mimic other sort of animals. But then with, with that ability, then that means that a lot of us end up just uncoordinated or without grace, right? Like if you see most cats, they can move with this sense of grace, but then there's a lot of humans that can't move with a sense of grace. I, I, I think yeah. that sort of dynamic is quite, quite peculiar. Yeah, I think the other thing is you never see a cat with like a pulled hamstring or like bursitis in the <laughs> shoulder or anything, right? They, <laughs> they kind of go from zero to 100 when they need to really really easily really effortless and then go straight back to zero and just chill out again like um you see that with like a lot of animals like when they do get injured or if they do get lame they usually get taken out properly um Mm. i suppose like we have like dogs and cats that will live for longer than they need to and that's Mm. probably a closer relationship to the human condition because we live far longer and we don't have to be as agile or as or as capable as as other animals on the planet but yeah so this is what I did want to ask you from your previous comment about the domestic cat is um, about you were saying that you have this tendency towards like order or if things are thrown out of order, maybe you feel a little bit ruffled. Um, yeah. So is, is that something that you've, you've recognized sort of recently in your life where when things develop and become a bit more chaotic that that really challenges you? Um, I, I don't know. Like, I think you've, we've always got routines. Like we have, mm. if you look into the, especially in the health and fitness world, like you have like morning routines and ab routines and shoulder mm. routines. Like we were talking about like the squat routine and the scapular routine before um, the podcast started. Like there's, there's ways that people like to do things and organize their day. And sometimes when a spanner gets thrown in the works, it can be a little bit hard to, to react to that. Mm. Um, but I definitely don't feel that's the case for me now um, these days. Like I, I definitely do um, have the things that make me a, a, a man of creature comforts, but mm. I don't think there's a, a an issue with things being out of order or having to be reactive. I think like owning a business definitely teaches you that pretty quickly. And I'm sure that uh, nothing is going to prepare me for what's going to happen with, with the kids on the way. Cause every single person I've spoken to you is uh, spoken to is saying, you got no idea what you're in for. Like you're going to have to just react and kind of go with it. So I'm actually really looking forward to that challenge. Yeah. You know, the, I mean, I think that's one side of life where it's uh, you just take it as it comes, right? Like, there's no real pra- practice for it until you just do it. And then, and then it's just, just there and everyone does it in their own sort of individual way, which is, 
maybe a, a way which how you know even physical practice eventually develops for for everybody right like you take you end up taking bits and pieces from places which you've seen before or teachers that you've guided and then in the end you sort of keep the parts which you which you tend to like right or you tend to enjoy i think that's what normally starts sitting and staying and forming that habit right yeah yeah definitely like i think um you find something that works for you you continue to do that um while you're there and then basically once you try and get a new bit of information in or if you try something else like they can become um they can become habits or whatever else as well Mm. yeah so i think what is interesting from you know your background as well to uh, you know coming from the movement side of things uh we were just speaking before and you know you've uh, you've gone through from outside the movement sort of culture and then now in the previous episode you were mentioning how you've gone through the edo system and then now you're with the fighting monkey so you've passed through these different sort of modalities and i'm sure like had these views forming throughout this sort of time. Uh, yeah. How would you sort of describe this journey in terms of how your view towards training has developed over, over this whole period? Oh, it depends. Like, that's a good question. I think, um, it depends how far back you want to go. Like I, when I first got into training, like it was, as I, as I mentioned in the previous podcast, like I think it was a bit more vanity based. Like I was mm. going to the gym to specifically like look good in summer at the beach or whatever mm. else, which I think like most like 17 or 18 year old guys would do the same thing. Um, and that was more of like a, a, an afterthought. It was something I did for a couple of months leading into summer. And it was something that I did mm. like a little bit throughout the year, but it definitely wasn't a, a major part of my life. It was a, a thing I did on the side occasionally. Um, and when I went backpacking, I remember like getting into like running because it was free. Um, I just had to put some shoes on and, and go down the beach. Um, and then slowly and slowly, but getting back into to weights and weight based training and stuff like that. But it was like a, a driver for me, um, from, I guess, not necessarily being in the best headspace um, in a few different um, scenarios and then like training, you get that like nice endorphin kick. So the physicality of training in itself had like a very important, um, a very important impact on my mental health. And and then from that, like the training kind of like stemmed on. Um, but it went from being something that I did to, to look good to something that I did to make myself feel better um, mentally when I was training. Mm. to being like almost i'll say destructive at one point so i got quite heavily into like crossfit and doing like like quite intense workouts but mm. the driver behind me when i was doing crossfit wasn't necessarily like self-preservation it was like this way of punishing myself for for whatever reason um and then from that i kind of got into movement like a, a, a like similar to yourself we were talking before like a couple of injuries and a couple of like significant plateaus in, in terms of my training, like my approach to training wasn't working mm. in terms of getting me the results that I was after. So I started looking at mobility. I started looking at like the shoulder stuff, um, like similar, we we're talking about the hanging protocol with Ida Portal and doing some of the scapular work from that. Um, and those two things sort of helped me overcome like a couple of basic, um, like, like, 
issues that I was having with Olympic lifting and issues that I was having mm. with my back, um, those things helped me overcome that. And then from that, I kind of got into the world of Edo and I got into the world of fighting monkey. Mm. But how that's all changed, like what I'm looking for out of training and, and what I'm um, achieving through it or what I'm getting out of it now has definitely evolved a fair bit as well. Yeah. So one thing I want to dig into a little bit more, um, you know, if you'd be so kind to share is like, you know, we've cut on this podcast, I've covered a lot with like on the physical health side of things. And for a lot of times, you know, people detail like the physical issues that they had and that has been like a big driver of motivation to seek answers, right? Like, as you said, the hanging protocol or some sort of fix for that, for their body. But I noticed, you know, you mentioned earlier that you were, almost in this like self-destructive period at one time uh, through, through training. Um, And that's more of touching maybe on like the, the approach or the mental side of, of training. So yeah, would you be able to sort of go through what, what, what was happening through, through that sort of period in your life with, uh, with training? Um, So the, the self-destructive side of things, I think it was like, like I think that was something that I would say was across every facet of my life. Like I had a, I had a, I used to do things quite well and then I'd have this big red button in front of me that said self-destruct and I used to press it like regularly. Hmm. Um, so there was uh, like instant gratification, um, short-term fixes that I was quite, um, uh, I was prone to, to move towards. So like binge drink, drinking on weekends, like going backpacking regularly. Like I went backpacking for a long period of time and it was a case of whenever like my emotional baggage caught up with me, I could kind of like go to another mm. country and then have a whole mm. bunch of people to be around and all of that kind of stuff. So like that was a big part of it. Um, and then when like I was going through what I would say was the the most destructive um, part of my own uh, mentality. It was like a lot of depression. And then to try and counteract the depression, I was like seeking sort of instant highs in terms of like um, drugs and drink and that kind of stuff. And it was the case of like, for me anyway, it was like Monday to Friday, I would go to the gym a lot. Mm. And then like Friday through Sunday, I would just like drink and smoke and take drugs and all of that kind of stuff quite a fair bit. And then I go back to Monday and it'd be like, I'd brush my teeth and then go back to the gym. Like it was, it was that kind of thing. Hmm. And when I was in that headspace, like when I was training, um, I, I always had this like dual um, thing of like the healthy person that I wanted to be during the week. And then the guy that didn't quite have much self-control on the weekend. And so when I trained, I was trying to punish myself for what I was doing on the weekend because somehow I thought that if I would be able to do this workout or if I would be able to do like this lift this weight or whatever else, it would make me somehow atone for my sins in some way. Um, and then there's only so long that that like loop of getting stuck in that hamster wheel can, can really work. I think mm. so I, um, I think at that particular point in time, like I was self-destructive with like um, my relationships with people I was with. I was uh, self-destructive in some of my friendships. I won't say I was self-destructive in all of my friendships, but I was definitely like attracted to people who were more likely to um, kind of go off the rails with me than I was people who might challenge me to kind of like keep my head together a bit more. Um, And then yeah, like the, the training, um, changed for me, like I can still remember it. Like I, there was two points that the training changed for me. Like I did 
a deadlift that I'd been aiming for. Like I wanted to break 200 kilos on a deadlift and I did like 212 or something. And I put the bar down and I sat down on the, on the um, rack next to the bar and I looked at it and I was like, fuck, I need to do that again. Like I can't bring myself to figure out how to put more weight on that and keep going. Cause I didn't like, it didn't change anything. I just picked up this thing and put it back down. And I had mm. this sense of achievement in my head for the last for like a second. Mm. And then the other one was I did this workout where I think I like I was 29 or 28 or something. And I did this workout on a Saturday and that was the big, the big workout in the gym that I, that I ran. And I pushed myself as hard as I possibly could. And it was about five hours later, I was still sort of recovering from that workout, still feeling completely screwed, like laying on the couch. And I thought to myself, I can't see myself still being able to do this in like five years. Mm. And then that sort of, made me change things a little bit so was that change sort of gradual from those i don't know what do you call them aha moments were they aha moments oh yeah they're definitely i think it was definitely gradual like you know when you speak to someone and they have a, like they have their story and it's i think most people will experience this like you kind of fall ass backwards into what you're doing like you never 100 percent plan to be where you are there's things that sort of shunt you along the way and then when you do look back on your own story, you'll generally find that like each of those aha moments was like a subtle step in the right direction. It wasn't ever like a hundred percent U-turn where you could have gone one way and it was really bad and one way that it was really good. It was more like you kind of like bump into a wall and slightly change your trajectory and then mm. you bump into another wall and slightly change your trajectory. Um, I think like for me, there's two uh, big changes I had from a career perspective that, were aligned with that so one um i was working uh on the mines in wa and i was trying to get a job on an oil rig and at the same time i was like trying to figure out how to be a, become a personal trainer and i had the paperwork everything ready to go i had the job lined up to go be a roustabout in an oil rig which i'd sorted out through one of my friends and then i had this job that paid me like 400 bucks a week as a personal trainer and I was thinking along myself, along my like headspace of like, where do I want to be in five years time? And I didn't want to be still doing FIFO and I didn't want to be still stuck in that. Like, um, like the FIFO life is interesting. Like you have a week of freedom where you can do whatever you hell you want. And then you have two weeks where you're at work. And I just knew that wasn't a good, a good headspace for me to be in. So I mm. chose the personal training thing. And then from that, like, like I said, with the, like, I guess the training side of things, pushing myself too hard, or it was like one or two hungovers that I woke up from. And I was like, I can't continue to do this. Like this isn't working for me and things need to change. So are you quite intentional with where you direct your energies now? And, you know, back then, did you ever sit down, you know, have you seen like a lot of people, they journal or they write something down and there's like the goal thing and then they set the plan to, to do that. Um, did anything like that materialize? Yeah. Yeah. It did, it did. And it didn't like, I didn't, um, I don't have a journaling practice. Like I don't, um, write down things regularly, but I do journal like at pivotal points. So like, I'll like every three months or every two months or sometimes every day, but very rarely is it every day I'll like journal or I'll sit back and reflect or I'll have a, a moment of quiet time um and i've definitely directed my energy towards the things that i want out of my life or i've directed my energy to the areas of my life that i don't think are working too well for me mm -hmm. and then made changes as a result of that 
Um, but it is like, it is definitely an intentional thing. Um, and then once like you get in the habit of like recognizing things don't quite work and that those things are within your control, it kind of like filters onto the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. So I mentioned my job before, like realizing that I could choose to earn more money and, and be unhappy or I could earn less money and kind of like do something I'm a bit more interested in. Like you have like a small change like that, which then can make you um, more able to tackle something slightly bigger and something slightly bigger and something slightly bigger. But everything's definitely like intentional direction of energy. Yes. Mm. And I think those moments, these fork moments are, are quite interesting as well. Right. Because it's like they could lead down these two very different paths. I mean, even though there could be a small step and you can step back, right. And then maybe you could have gone back onto working on the oil rig uh, and a, where I've stood before in terms of forks, normally it's like committing to either one or the other and you kind of know it as well. You're like, Oh, you know, if I choose this, then I'm really choosing, even though, you know, you could always like backtrack and then try the other thing again. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm stubborn in that sort of way where it's like, if I'm going down this path, I'm, I'm really going to go down it. Are you sort of similar? Oh, very much so. Like I, I think if I'm, like I'm one that's I've been hesitant to commit to things in the past, but when I decide that I'm going to do something, I generally tend to, to go at it like mm. quite hard. Mm. Um, and like we were talking about the connection between sort of lifestyle decisions and training before, like when I got into um, say CrossFit and like barbell work, like I went down at like, like far enough to, to sort of become obsessive about it. Um, same as when I got into the Edo Portal stuff, like I, I did the online coaching off the back of the Movement X and did the online coaching for just over a year, went to um, three workshops and went to the, um, uh, what's it called, Movement Camp in Thailand. So it was like for that period of time that I was doing that, I did that pretty, pretty full on, mm. dedicated my whole life to it. And then a similar sort of thing now with FM and obviously Aspen and everything else, like you, you definitely, once you've made that decision, you kind of got to go down it properly right mm. and i wanted to ask you about this uh concept of like es escapism where you were mentioning before you had this sort of escapism through drugs alcohol you know sort of cancelling off what you were doing before um but then something that i've been thinking about recently is also like you know when is it the point where for our physical practices as well does that become a form of escapism you know like for i know a lot of the guys under the edo method that sort of thing at some points they're training all day right like i'm i'm sure yeah. you you probably were as well so at from your experience, were you asking yourself those type of questions or did you feel at some point that, hey, it's like I'm escaping from the rest of my life just to do this? Um, I think there was an element of commitment rather than escapism when mm. it came to the Edo stuff. Um, so, like, I... I intentionally went to the Edo stuff and I, I, I believed that it would help me get to a better life. So I don't know where I, I attached that weight to the online coaching with Edo, but I, I figured it was like a, a doorway to something that I wanted really badly. Um, and I think like 
having that commitment to the training and being able to uh, do the volume and being able to see my body change and then the things that I you know thought were impossible became possible and all that kind of stuff like that was really um, important for me mentally um, but there was definitely like a like let's say you have like places you direct your energy so you've got like your relationships you've got your finances you've got your your physical training you've got your mental training whatever else like I put almost everything into the physical training basket then and it was like mm-hmm. to the detriment for me anyway like I know this isn't the same for other people but for me it was at the detriment to other parts of my life so for me to train sort of like the six hours a day I ignored friendship groups or I didn't see like my family as much and for me to train that volume as well, like I changed the way that I ate, I changed the way that I, I um, consumed drinking and like all that kind of stuff. So if I went to like a family barbecue, for example, I would just drink water and not eat food because the food wasn't healthy enough for me because I, mm. you know, I knew I needed to train the next day. And if I get invited to something and it clashed with training, I chose training. And if I didn't get my training in, I felt really pissed off. Um, so I don't think it was escapism in that sense. I think there was definitely like a, uh, an overindulgence or like taking it too far for me, um, when I was doing that. Um, but it actually like, it didn't allow me to escape the, um, the problems that I had. It gave me the space to process things, to deal with them. I think Mm, that's quite interesting. it was a very, it was a very like, like once again to other people, it won't be that extreme. Like I'm sure some of the audience that are doing the Edo stuff, like this won't be extreme. It'll just be their normal. But for me, it was an extreme way to live. And like I said, it gave me um, a sense of accomplishment. It gave me a new um, passion for what I was doing. It gave me this, this whole world of doors opened and it gave me this ability to sit down and really like deal with some things. Um, but having said that, one thing I haven't mentioned so far is the whole time that this was going on was I just started like my relationship with Emma and she was like instrumental in helping me deal with a lot of the stuff that um, I needed to deal with and still is like she always points me in the right direction. So I think the training um, gave me an idea of strength and accomplishment and commitment and like mm. an ability to commit to something, um, even if that something was just like going to the gym. Um, I should probably say that's a, that's not fair. Like, I think it was a commitment to myself, like a positive commitment to myself. And then having Emma there with me as well was like a huge, um, a huge help in dealing with all of that sort of stuff. Mm. So, cause I know now that, you know, you've sort of shifted over to the fighting monkey sort of stuff. You touched on it a little bit in our previous episode about, um, you know, why that, that shift was as well. But, um, was this sort of like, you know, you started feeling the space and maybe some realizations starting to, to come to you that then your motivations or the questions that you're asking yourself in terms of training and what you wanted out of the practice was also transforming. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's probably a good way of, um, of explaining, I think, um, when I was doing the, the EO stuff, it was external, like you were chasing after like a, a skill. Um, and I know that's not the entirety of Edo's work, but for the stuff that I was doing, it was like you had, um, you had to get your, your green light. Um, you, you had your resubmissions. You had to make sure things were good enough. Um, 
And then you had like these pass fail skills. Like you either hold the handstand for the amount of time that you needed to hold it for, or you couldn't, you either got the muscle up or you didn't, you got the ring routine or you didn't, you managed to get your sets and reps in or you didn't. Um, so it was very easy to measure. Um, and it was very, uh, it was almost like a video game. Like every time you opened the door at one level, there was another level you could go to. So you opened another door and you kept on going down that route. Mm. Um, and I was really into that when I was doing it, like really, really into it. Um, the FM stuff is, I think the FM stuff came about to me. Um, and it wasn't something like I fully comprehended when I first started doing it. So like a, a big thing we haven't touched on this yet, but a big thing that um, motivates me is curiosity. So I've always um, been like, if someone's been able to do something that I can't do, I'm curious to know why, or if there's something that I haven't come across and then I see this thing and it's like, well, what's that shiny thing over there? Like I will kind of want to know what it is. So when I was doing the, the, um, watching Emma do the stuff that she was doing through FM, I was a little bit curious about it. Like I, I didn't really jump into it, but I was curious about it. And then when I went to a couple of workshops, I became more curious about the stuff with FM. Curious enough to stick with it enough to do it enough to feel the differences in it. Um, but my experience like with the FM stuff that I've been doing lately is, is it's a lot more internally based. Like mm -hmm. it's, you turn the, the mirror back on yourself and you're focusing on how you hold yourself, how you uh, think, how you stand, how you walk, how you dance, how you move, all these things that aren't really quantifiable. Like it's not pass fail. It's either you're doing something and you're getting a concept or you're not. And even if you're not doing it, you're probably still moving your body in a slightly different way. Um, so it was, it was like, it was different. And then with the, I guess the way that like we were talking before about like becoming a father and, and that kind of stuff, like my priorities, where I want to put my attention, like all of that kind of stuff have, has shifted a lot. And the internal practice from FM has been invaluable for dealing with all that kind of stuff. Cause I, I find myself having the space to think the space to breathe, the space to stand through some of the stuff um, that I've learned from FM and then I'm able to sort of like process things slightly differently. So what are some of the realizations maybe that you've come to recently, you know, with the changing circumstances of your, of your life and maybe in the context of, you know, some of the practices that FM has equipped you with, like, yeah, maybe can you describe like wh what particular thing has allowed you to then afford this, this space to then, to then help with this process? Um, I think a couple of things um, was like one of the biggest lessons that I've learned um, through FM is that the, the body isn't a machine. I think the way that I thought about things uh, previously was it's very like mechanical and you were, um, you're almost trying to control or override your body, like the mm. self dominance um, side of training, the mastery side of training. Like I am going to figure out how to lift that thing up. I'm going to figure out how to hold myself mm. in that position. I'm going to figure out how to get myself into a pancake. Like it was this dominance side, like I'm controlling my body. And I think that's like really important to learn and really important to mm. go through. But for me, like the, the listening to the body and hearing the things that it tells you um, 
differently sort of came through the realization that like you're an organism, like you have, you have a lot in common with say a plant or you have a lot in common with the tree. You have a lot in common with like another animal or whatever else you are, this living, breathing organism. You're not a machine. Um, so when something breaks, it's not that easy to go get it fixed. Like I know we have like amazing surgery and we have amazing technology and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, like we shouldn't necessarily need to push our body to the point that it breaks mm. regularly um, and be okay with that, I think. Um, so that's one thing that's kind of come, come through from like the, the study with FM, I guess. Um, another realization, which I think this has come indirectly through FM, but I think the stuff that I did through Edo and then the stuff that I did through CrossFit and the stuff that I did through like everything beforehand, uh, comes down to like the energetical, um, feelings that you get within your body. Mm. So, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll play something, like you go play ultimate Frisbee. Like even if you're feeling sad about life before you go play ultimate Frisbee, by the time you've finished playing it, you're kind of like a little bit more pepped up. Right. Mm. And then sometimes you'll go to the gym and it's like a real heavy session and you feel a little bit depleted when you finish. Like all you want to do is eat, go to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, when I had a program and I was following a, a set program, like you had to do this on Monday morning, this on Monday afternoon, and you had this on Tuesday morning, this on Tuesday afternoon. It didn't matter if you felt like energized or depleted, you had to kind of get the work done. So you had to kind of force yourself to get the sets and reps to to whatever like you're following like this like i said the program whereas with the fm stuff it's like if i'm feeling like a little bit run down i'm gonna dance and i'm gonna move and i'm gonna listen to music or i'm gonna throw a ball against the wall or i'm gonna go mountain biking down a hill or i'm gonna go play ultimate frisbee with some Mm. friends or like volleyball or something like that like something that's a bit more interactive that makes me feel like all white and buzzing and is a Mm. bit more joyful and then those days when i feel like you know fuck yeah i want to take this thing on like i might do something that's a bit more like based around the rings or a bit more based around handstands or whatever else um but for the most part it's trying to choose the um the thing that's going to make me feel like this surplus of energy or refreshed i guess as opposed to feeling depleted through my training Mm, so are you searching for this feeling like when you're walking away from training that you've actually like cultivated more energy versus just like drain the battery cell? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Cause I mean, when you go down the skill stuff, like the skill acquisition stuff can be quite taxing. Like you're having to concentrate really hard and you're doing something that's kind of at the limit of your, your physical capacity most of the time. And it just becomes neurologically quite fatiguing mm. when you're like, doing something like I've got to listen to some music, move my head around, move my spine and then figure out how my feet can carry me. Like it's not, um, it's not as neurologically taxing. Mm. It can be frustrating because you can feel like an elephant that's trying to be a ballerina or whatever else, but it's not taxing as such. And I think that's one of the bigger differences. Um, and I think that might also be like an age thing as well. Cause I'm, I'm not old by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm not as young as I used to be as well. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, the orientation has really shifted for you. I mean, from your sort of teaching experience as well, like, do you think it's necessary for people to pass through these like quite orderly structured, you tell them Monday afternoon, Tuesday afternoon, you know, do that program at the start first, or is it from the very beginning, you know, you can take more of this intuitive approach where it's just like, you know, listen to your energy, decide what you want to do because, you know, one 
sort of thought that crosses my mind is that potentially for for people at the at the beginning they might just you know not do any exercise at all not make any sort of change at all because that might be a bit more harder to comprehend or they they might not have that practice right to to listen and then to respond towards whatever they hear yeah, uh, there's like a great way of putting it. And I think that's true for everyone that sort of gets into this physical world. You need to have accountability and you need to have structure at first because you need to be able to drag yourself into into the, the realm of giving yourself time for the training. So if that looks like a program where you have to spend half an hour to an hour every day at this set time doing it, that's the most important thing. Um, once someone has that discipline or that practice, how they then choose to spend their time within it is like the next, the next level up in a sense. Mm. So when you're, when you're training and you're following someone else's like uh, process or you're following like a, a program that someone's given to you, you're learning about your body through this engagement with this process. And that's, that's one of the reasons why a program works so well, because you can do the same session. Say if you had a session that you did every Monday, that for six weeks you've got six different versions of yourself that is doing that program and some days you'll feel like you're killing it and some days you'll feel like you got your ass whooped by it but some days you'll have a big resistance to doing it and some days you'll be really happy to go do that training but you've you've set the commitment to yourself so you've experienced it um, and you've got to know yourself through that process and then once like if you fast forward a couple of years so someone has that commitment then it can be a case of you need to change things because you need to change mm. things um I think like one of the, the like more interesting things, like so say you didn't have a good night's sleep last night and your your daughter was keeping you awake or she's sick and you had like a bad day of, at work and then like let's say you and your partner are having troubles or whatever else, like the the perfect thing for you at that particular time, the only person that's really going to know that is you. Mm. And sometimes the perfect thing for you is the thing that you last feel like doing. So sometimes in that situation, the last thing you feel like doing is going to the gym. But as soon as you start, you're like, oh, wait, this, I feel great now because of this. So it does become tricky because you can't just rely on what you think your energetical needs are. Mm. You have to kind of know yourself and trust yourself a little bit as well. Because it's quite interesting, like going back to, you know, your experience where you've got like the Edo on one side, then fighting monkey. And this is just, talking as like an observer outside into both those, the, those methods is like, it just appears, you know, like Edo sometimes is very like almost uh, linear at, at times with the, with the way that, you know, this volume approach and telling you what to do and the breaking down of the process. And then from what I've seen from Joseph, Joseph, and when I spoke with him, it very seems to be in the opposite, right? Non-linear, throw them into the fire. The frustration will, will, will pay back dividends, uh, you know, as they develop into more of this, uh, this dynamic organism. So, you know, it seems that through Aspen and your teaching, you combine sort of the, your, all your experiences, you know, towards your, your students. So when you teach people like either one or the other, or, you know, like the fighting monkey stuff, it, is that, do you present a little bit more order or is it also very, chaotic um so that is a is a very very good question that one so the i think the like the genius of the edo edo stuff from my experience of it is that you don't need anyone to train with so you can you can buy the program or you can engage with it online you can keep yourself accountable you don't need much equipment 
and all of the drills don't require a partner um, to do them. So it's something that anyone can kind of pick up and run with. And I think that's like one of the best things about the way that the Edo program was. Um, with the FM stuff, it's a lot more interactive from my experience. Like the, um, actually I rephrase that, the the game-based stuff, which is, Edo's got that as well. There's a lot of game-based stuff with Edo where you need people to work with. But the the programming with, um, it's not even programming with FM. You can't even compare the two, to be honest with you. Um, but to take it back to what we're doing sort of in, in Aspen, we do things like very differently. So it's based on like our own soup. So it's not trying to be, you know, it's not trying to be FM. It's kind of mm. doing what we do. So some of the classes we have the luxury of having people that can work together. So we'll play games and we'll play some of the stuff we learned through Edo. We'll play some of the stuff we've learned through FM. And then with the strength based classes, majority of it is, um, is going to be the the handstands, the rings, they're building up at the scapula, they're, they're working through the squat stuff. And that's because for the majority of people that work sort of eight hours a day stuck at a desk, that's the most mm. beneficial for them in the time that they have. And then that's basically like how we would get the best out of both of those worlds, I think. But we also have people within this um, space here that are far more interested in the handstands and the rings. And you've got other people that are far more interested in like the footwork and the coordination and all of that kind of stuff. Mm. yeah it's so it's sounding like what you mentioned before you know with this skill acquisition it's almost like you need to this this order and this structure is uh, that is really helpful when you orientate towards that like because you know i've spoken with others before and they always they always say like you know like you can't play your way to a one-arm handstand you need to like sit down yeah you need to sit down do the work break it all down to uh, to all the pieces right so definitely in some areas right like it it needs that 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 order um so i find that i find that very interesting yeah yeah, well, the, the, you can't you like you, know, you can't play yourself to a one-arm handstand. You can't play yourself to a muscle-up. You can't play yourself to those specific skills because they're their own things. They're like a language mm. that you need to learn. You need to spend time learning that language and, and putting the work in as well. Like that's one of the things that's most satisfying about it when you do that stuff because when you finish the skill, it's like you've done the work, you've put it together and you've got this new thing that you mm. thought was impossible. But one of the things that... I think, um, and this is like relatively new to me, um, is the idea of play versus work. Mm-hmm. Like we, we're a society that's obsessed with work. Like if you look at podcasts, like if you listen to Gary Vee talk, like you've got to work 23 hours a day if you want to be a multimillionaire. And we're always mm-hmm. obsessed with more. Like we're always trying to add more, do more, be more. Um, like if you're not working, you're somehow cheating yourself. And then this, this realm of play, like play seems to be relegated to the domain of children for the most part. So play is something that, you know, sometimes people will say they play with things and it's seen like as a, as a negative because they're not taking themselves seriously enough to put in the work. But like the play side of things is like, it's freeing, it's liberating, it's fun. It's like, it's, you know, interacting with other people and not taking things so seriously is, is definitely like, something that I know that when I was training pretty hard, when I was working, my body was, was something that I missed and the play side of life with non-specific skills associated with it, it just brings you energy, brings you joy. Um, and it allows you to, to kind of take things a little bit more lighthearted at times. Mm-hmm. At least for me personally, it does. 
Um, so they're different, they're different sides of a coin. Like, I, as I said, I don't think you can compare them too well in that sense. How do you, how do you define the difference between work and play? That's a good question. That is definitely a good question. So, um, work has a time associated with it. Um, work has like sets and reps and a checklist. Like, so you know that you need to do, I've got my five by five that I need to do, or I need to do minute on minute off for three rounds or whatever else. And it's got this, this thing. And it's whether you, you want to or not, you're going to do that thing because that's the work. Whereas like play will be like, this is one that I do regularly. It's just, you put the music on and you just move around. And then when the work is done, the work is done. Like, it's not, I'm going to do this for 20 minutes. I'm not going to have 20 second. Like you don't do it to batter a, like improvised dancing like you mm. you kind of just do what you're going to do so the play for me is like when the when the curiosity comes into a bit into it a bit um when you're um not quite sure how long you're going to work for or what the rules are that are associated with it like the amount of times i walk into the gym now and i don't know what i'm going to do until i start doing it is is like that's the norm. Whereas the times that I come in and I'm going to do this specific work, like that's, that's not mm. so much the norm for me these days. It reminds me of um, this book by James Cass called infinite and finite games. And mm. in it, he talks about how like the difference between the two is where for finite games, you have these, these boundaries such as like this layer of time that you're talking about. And yeah. that almost feels like the, the difference there, you know, when you start imposing, some spectrum of boundary whether it be time or, or whatever that's where it can potentially turn into this this work and then when it is more f open to interpretation that's where it can be viewed potentially as play yeah quite possibly hmm. quite possibly it's a good it's a good one that's actually a really good question like to to try and differentiate the the two and also when's the right time for reach right Mm, I think that is a very tricky one as, as well, right? Because I've definitely had it on my journey. You know, you can take handstands for uh, for a, a common example. Most people will will understand, but you know, like grinding for a, for a lot of it just to get to you know freestanding or getting to to a minute. Um, but then at, during parts of that journey as well, I know that I have to walk away from that grinding mentality and just play with the handstand and go upside down. And then that reminds me more again that I'm like, Oh, like I'm upside down. This actually feels really enjoyable. This act, this practice that I've cultivated, you know, I do it for a reason because it, it, it's fun. It, it makes me feel like I'm, I'm playing with my body. Um, yeah. But I know that I can't keep on just doing that hundred percent because then I also don't, have this feeling of that direction of like this orientation or this goal that where of where I want to achieve. Yeah. So you, you just got your, your handstand push up, right? Yeah. yeah. I just got that yesterday. <laughs> yeah. So you, cause you did like, um, so you would have done like the work against the wall, right? You would have done like the, mm -hmm. the two to four reps against the wall, getting comfortable with that. And then yeah. maybe played around with like a shoulder stand position at the bottom and then mm -hmm. played around with the handstand at the top. And then you, when you first start fucking around with the eccentric freestanding, it's play. 
Mm. Like that is like you're experimenting every single time you come down. Like you, you're not working to your capacity because you can already go up and down against the wall, like for five sets of three or whatever it is. Mm. But when you're coming down, it's play. Like you're trying to figure out where the fuck the balance is. You're trying to figure out how to hold your body. You've got like 10, 10 balls that you're juggling and you're trying to catch like three or four of them. And then over enough time you start to get it. And then when you got that first eccentric, you would have been fucking pumped. Mm. And then when you managed to lift yourself back up the other side of it, you would have been, you would have been pumped. Right. So that's, I think that's the idea of that in that sort of like world where your, your skill capacity is changing. Like that's mm. the idea of like crossing over the worlds of like work and play in a sense, because you've done the work to enable yourself to play with a new skill. Mm. And now that you've got this skill, you're going to have to work on refining it so you can play with the next one. Right. So that's like a good, good crossover from like a skill acquisition perspective. Mm. Yeah. It's, it seems like at times it feels like not much is happening and that's when it's like the work. But then when you're on the cusp of these novel experiences, such as controlling that first freestanding eccentric, then you do walk away elated smile on your face. You're like, ah, oh, like, that didn't feel like work that felt like play. Yeah. Yeah. And that would also play into that like energy depletion and energy generation side of things as well. Like mm. yeah, I saw your celebration when you got the handstand push up, like you fist pump the air, like super pumped, like you walk away and you're just buzzing because you got this mm. new thing. So that's, that's a good crossover between the two things, I think. Yeah. So that's an area I do want to dig into more about is this, this cultivation of energy and you mentioned, before it was very like potentially energy depleting with a lot of your practices, but now you seek a, a different sort of feeling afterwards. So yeah. How do, how do you sort of set yourself up for, for this sort of orientation where you're going, okay, like I want to, I want to walk away from the things that I do with a sense of greater energy because it's, it's funny, like physical actions also take energy yeah. So, yeah yeah um see that's it. like i don't know how to to say that i would cultivate it or how like i i would specifically push towards it i can give examples of like times that i've been coaching people that you will gravitate towards one or the other um so like a one of my my good mates who's also a client of mine like he works as a salesman. He's got like really long hours. Um, he does uh, sales calls internationally. So he'll be on the phone to America and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes he comes into the gym and he just looks at me and he's like, all right, I'm ready to go. And I look at his eyes and he's got bags under his eyes and they're bloodshot. And I was like, man, the last thing you need is to work real hard right now. And he's like, it's like, so we'll just start playing games. So we'll play like, like hit a tennis ball against the wall, play a game of squash and just get him laughing and moving around, get his heart rate up, get him like interacting with the environment. And then that, like that session itself, like for him who's tired and has been working way too hard, like that play and it's going to create like a sense of energy. So when he walks out of here, he feels like a buzz. Whereas what he was working on specifically in that like world, he was interested in handstands and the press handstand itself. Mm. So if I did a press handstand session with him then, as he's tired and all of that kind of stuff, like it would have probably been like not the best thing for him because he would have been like kind of depleted. And that's the conversation that I have with him at the start of the session is like, do you really want to work hard given how tired you are or do you want to mm. do something a little bit different? So that's one way to sort of play around with those two things. Um, for me myself, like I have a standing practice that I do uh, regularly. So three or four times a week, 
Um, I have my kneeling practice. I have meditation stuff that I do quite regularly. And then I have different like ways that I check in with my body. And sometimes it'll get to like three o'clock in the afternoon. I've got 20 minutes. That's all I've got. So I just want to get myself buzzing before I can go in, back into teaching. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you've got longer so you can explore a concept a little bit more. Um, but yeah, it's like, for me, it's a personal decision I have. And then with my clients, it's a conversation you have. Like, where are you at? How are you feeling? What are you hoping to achieve out of today? Like, you know, you can tell when someone's not quite there and not quite ready for something hard. And you can tell when someone wants a lift or a boost. But I think like the idea of um, this is like one, this is like a thought process for me that is um, like, is becoming more and more important to me. When... I was like doing personal training when I first started. Like I mentioned this in the last chat that we had, like the best way to measure the session was how like tired you could make someone. So you were trying to get them to sweat. You were trying to get their heart rate up. You were trying to get them to to work really hard. And I've kind of changed that a little bit. So, you know, you can do roller sprints or you can play squash against the wall with a tennis ball in your hand. Like you can play these drop ball games where the mind's trying to react and all that kind of stuff. Or you can like, do burpees like there's different ways that you can get someone to get their heart rate up and get them moving and get them to do stuff where they they're not necessarily just going to feel tired at the end of it Mm. like does that make sense yeah it's like these different tools they can produce different effects um just dependent on someone's state and maybe they're also their their context towards it like i can i can see you know burpees for some people maybe they would walk away and they would love it. Right. But for other people like myself, it'd just be destroying and <laughs> I'd feel really, really tired, tired from yeah. it. So uh, I think that's probably goes to that, that art of the coaching and then pairing that tool correct to that individual after you've, I like how you said it, like at the start of the session, you, 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 you had that chat with him, you know, it was like that, let, let's be real, you know, do you want to do what was planned or we can also do something else that might actually make you feel just better after you walk away from it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. So for sure. how, how about in terms of yeah your own practice when you were saying like the direction from fighting, fighting monkey, um, like how is your practice sort of organized and structured and what is the direction like from what you receive under under the fighting monkey method so we get like for the most part we've been getting tasks so it's like you do um like you got some footwork stuff you're going to play around with with on the compass which is a like a um a cross that's drawn on the floor and you're playing around with how you step forward and backwards and articulate yourself around that um or we have improvisation drills where it's like you're standing on one leg and you've got to move your head around like do chaotic balance uh, or you're playing around with kicks um, the most structured part of it would be the zero forms. So each month, um, I'll get like something that gets added on to what is a sequence that has been given to us. And that's up to you how long you spend within each part of that sequence and, and when you dedicate your time to doing it. But the tasks outside of it, like I said, they're kind of qualitative. So it's like majority of it is on my feet, which is something that I'm really attracted to now. Like I love, feeling the way that I shift my weight on my feet and I feel love feeling light on my feet. And like, you know, I think it's really important to play around with that as human beings because we're you know designed to walk around on our feet. 
Um, and then like the, the tasks that get given to us, like I said, they're, they're dance based or they're improvisation based or they're, you got this basketball. I need you to play around with this for three minutes as you pass it between your legs and you do all this sort of stuff. And it's like, at first it's kind of like, you don't really know what to do because you don't have much instruction. And mm. that's like a really freeing thing. Like I think when you get given an improvisational task, like it really um, exposes like a limited vocabulary in terms of how you move yourself. Cause we're really good at like, um, structure and we're really good at having like an objective like I want you to run to the end of the park as fast as you can mm. or I want you to do 50 of something or whatever else like we, we compute that really well but when you give someone like a, a basketball and say I just want you, to, you pass this around your body you pass this around your legs and see how you go or if you like I said stand on two feet move your head around as much as you can see how much movement you can get through your spine and see if you can find a sense of rhythm with that it's harder to know what to do. Like it can be a bit mm. uh, constraining because you'll end up doing the same thing like four or five times. Like you just mm. keep doing the same thing. And then one day, like, or one thing different comes into it. And it's like, Oh, I didn't know I could do that. Um, yeah. So where does the feedback come from? Or how do you sort of gain awareness over like, recognizing oh, i'm doing the same thing because say with like the more orderly stuff or the the skill-based stuff you know it's very demonstrable you, you, you sort of like oh no oh, i did four reps instead of three reps um but with the more qualitative experience is that something where you take notes afterwards or do you take a video and watch the video afterwards or do you just like internally watch yourself what's your process like all of the above <laughs> all of the above so you you'll take notes so like each time i, I go into like a an improv session or each time i go into like a a, a session i'll have like a an objective or an intention so it's like my my intention today is to to move my my head differently like one thing that i noticed when i was watching the like the dancing that i was doing and the feedback that i got from yosef is that my head stays stuck it's always kind of facing forward it doesn't move that much so mm. i had the intention of moving my head around and then seeing how that's going to relate to like uh, my spine and all of that kind of stuff. So you write that down and then you start like moving your head. Um, and then that changes the way that your spine moves and it changes the way that your balance feels and it changes the way that your legs respond. And then because you have this like slight change, you can write down about it. So like an example of, um, I guess, structuring a session uh, for me, would be I would like choose three or four songs and then have an intention for the first song and I would just move. And then the second song I would like think back or watch the video of me doing it and say, did I manage to like accomplish what I, I thought I was doing? Cause the other thing is a lot of the time, the way that you're moving in your head versus what you're actually doing is so far removed from one another. Um, but I think like the, like the one of the geniuses of the of the training through FM is the the video, um, like the video uh, queuing or whatever else. I don't know how to to put it, but they'll they'll send you a video of a coordination with no instruction. Mm. You have to watch it, break it down, internalize it, and then perform it. And I think that like watch, break down, internalize, and perform. Like by doing that, like 
I've trained my eyes to be smarter. Like mm-hmm. I see more about movement as a result of that. So when I first watched a coordination, I would be obsessed with the arms, where the arms are going, what the arms were doing and all of that kind of stuff. And then you can kind of try and copy it because the arms are going to the left, one to the right mm-hmm. or whatever. And then you put that into the coordination and it looks terrible. Like it's kind of there, but it's kind of not. Or you put it into the dance and it looks terrible. It's kind of there, it's kind of not. And you watch it again and you realize, oh, they're, they're moving their, their waist as well. Like their, their mm. torso is moving as they're doing that. And then you get that. And then you realize there's a bounce in the legs and a bounce in the body and you get that. And then you realize like the way the hands are moving. But at first, when you first looked at it, all you saw was arms. Mm. Um, I think the like the the way that my eyes see things and the way that I, I view movements now and the way that I can see movements within myself, like the whole system is kind of upgraded. So like, I, I don't know, I just, I can interpret things better. I can see things better. And as a coach working with people, especially with some of the people that I work with, it's been amazing because you, you can see them doing things. You can see the way they hold their weight on one leg more than the other, or you can see the way that they don't quite rotate at one hip as well as they do it another or that they're constantly like leaning slightly forward or their shoulders not in time with the rest of their body. And you can see these things from a mile away and it really helps you to sort of like direct your efforts towards like making them feel better in wherever they're feeling sore or making them feel a bit stronger in wherever they're lacking or whatever it is Mm. from that process of me trying to figure out these coordinations. I can see it on other people. So say if like a client was, you know, like leaning more to one side and limited in a sort of rotational element, like uh, I know it's probably going to be pretty hard for you to, to um, explain just from that limited context, but you know, in terms of like your something that you might then challenge them with or try and, uh, try and help them if if they were saying that they were uh, experiencing pain because of it let's let's say like would you just start off by actually telling them that and drawing awareness to uh, to that or would you give them a task as well about like sort of shifting and rotating the torso so that they they were rotating yeah what would you sort of do Oh man, that is a, that's a a good question. And it's a very hard one to answer because Mm. it does depend so much on the individual. Um, all right. So if someone was coming in and it was specifically around like an injury or Mm. let's not say injury, because I don't think like most people that get injured, like soft tissue is pretty simple in a sense. Like you, you have your protocols that you need to look after it. Don't overdo it. Um, if it's nothing too major after like up to four months, you're usually kind of good to go. But if it's something that's a bit more chronic, because if someone has mm-hmm. like constant back pain or they've got some sort of like um, bursitis or something like that, basically it depends on the person, how long the issue has been in there and then what's going to be the most like important thing for them. So if someone's like constantly leaning on one side because they're avoiding putting weight on the other side, for example, like if you just automatically get them to put weight in the other side, does that then aggravate the issue that they've got? Mm. Like you can't quite know that until you've done work with the person, I suppose. So I'd be looking at um, most of the time, like how they move their spine because how they move their spine is going to either unload or load different areas. And then we'd look at a sense of balance and I'd be looking at their feet as well. And then also how 
connected they are to those those areas so if someone's never like paid attention to their feet before or someone's never paid attention to their mm-hmm. hip before or whatever else they're not necessarily going to feel the things that you can feel within your own foot or within your own um, hip or whatever else so if you draw attention to it it might become confusing for them it might become like constipating because now they're trying to search for this feeling that they don't have a feeling for mm. But if you've got, say, like a simple task, like I want someone to throw a ball at a wall, like it's a really small coordination, it's really simple coordination, but the act of throwing a ball in itself, you can see rotation in the hip, you can see rotation in the spine or whatever else. You can encourage movement through an area that comes in from a different angle than what they may have been experiencing that pain from. Mm. And then through watching them do that, you can... um, you can see the changes or you can see what needs to be changed or you can draw attention to weight shift as they throw the ball or weight shift as they do something else. So you can come in, in from a different angle than just trying to strength or stretch and or isolate or draw mm. attention to a hip. Does that make sense? It's a pretty, pretty bad explanation. <laughs> no, I, I, I started getting a sense of that. Um, and I think, you know, what, uh, seems like challenging or more complicated to to that sort of approach is that you know when you task someone to do that everything happens so quick right they're just like like throw the ball and i think that practice that you've cultivated where you're you're watching somebody or you've watched yourself and you've sort of looked at and know how to recognize the pieces that you can sort of catch it in that sometimes like very quick split second to show that it's not moving in, in that certain way whereas you know i think that sometimes when you do the other sort of approach uh like breaking things down joint by joint or something like that this isolated it feels like you're you're more in control you're you you more like have this time to to focus and observe just on on this one part right um versus if everything in the body is is moving then it i think it's harder for the untrained eye to pick up on right a hundred percent but i think that's where you like with the beauty of a simple coordination, like something like, as I said, throwing a ball, which I'll keep coming back to, you can, you can start off with just the arm. So if you think of like the learning process of a toddler throwing a ball, like mm-hmm. they start off just the arm and it's usually like a pretty simplistic action and then it doesn't matter where the ball goes. They're just stoked that they're throwing a ball. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you fast forward five or 10 years and they're like stepping forward and rotating and the ball's like whipping out of a hand. But you can start off with just moving the arm and then you can start off with playing around with how the torso rotates and then you can have a look at the hips and the feet and all that kind of stuff. But one of the bigger things with say like a a work like that is it's not it's a case of you give someone a drill once and then expect them to get it. It's like we're going to keep on coming back to this. So like we might play around with like axial rotations. We might play around with like weight shift. We might play around with stepping. We're going to play around with rotation of the hip as you're standing we're going to do some stretching. We're going to do some, some other stuff. We're going to throw a ball somewhere in there. And mm-hmm. then we're going to do all of that again. And then we're going to throw a ball somewhere in there again. And we're going to do all of that again. And you video them like on the first session, you video them on the second session, you video them on the third session. And that like ball throw in a sense becomes like a test retest. Like is someone more balanced? Are they less balanced? Are they rotating better through their hip? Are they not? Um, and with that collection of videos, you can show them like this was you three or four weeks ago this is you now can you see the difference um and that so you can definitely break it down or you can definitely like go to different um modalities and then come back to it 
Mm. But it's never, and it never will be a case of the first time you show someone something that is going to be the time that they get it. I think that's really cool. Like, especially that demonstrable bit of taking the footage, footage and walking them through that journey and showing them that, that difference with, uh, with the task, such as like the, the throwing of the ball, which I think is, um, is probably viewed in a different context or, uh, that, that, different sort of skill level versus like if you were to say like do a very heavy squat or a handstand or something like that and then you know people always looking at the videos and going like oh this is like my progress but then with that more uh, what people view like as basic skill is the ball and then showing the difference yeah i think that's a uh, that's really really cool um i did there is is also one other part that i didn't mention though like the the ball itself is feedback Hmm. So like if you've ever done any throwing sport or if you've ever done boxing or something else like that, where if you, you've kicked, like played soccer and kicked a football, when you let go of the ball, you know whether it's a good throw or not. Mm. Like you can feel it within your body. You can feel it within your bones. You can hear it as the ball hits the wall. Like you know how it felt when it left your hands. You know whether it hits the target or not. So the process of throwing is kind of internal in a sense if you can structure it that way but you have an external feedback that's quite obvious and then you can feel it. Like, um, I don't know if you ever did Olympic lifting, but when I, like one of the first trajectory changes for me was learning how to Olympic lift because it was a like quite a complicated skill. Mm. But when all of the stars aligned when you were a beginner and they just kind of like hit right, the bar flew up and it was like, holy shit, what the hell happened there? It was mm. like amazing. Right. So the, the feedback can come from the external, but it's an internal process to to shift that differently. Mm. I do remember trying to lift up the bar once, and I just like hit my chin. That was that was quite painful. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone's yeah, done I that. You did that on more than one occasion. Yeah, and you kind of just walk away and hope that no one else has has seen that. Um... No one else has seen that. Yeah. So yeah. I've seen you. You know, you playing around sometimes with this uh, this speed tool. You know that the the red yeah. thing. Um. So yeah, you love the speed tool. Yeah, you're talking about this thing about about feedback. I haven't had a chance to play around with it. So yeah, like what is this thing? What's your experience been with playing around with this thing? Um. So the, the speed tool is really interesting. Like I think now that I've kind of wrapped my head around it and I have fun with it, like I think it's probably like one of the most fun ways of throwing some weight around or, or whatever that I've come across. Um, like if you think on every sport you've ever seen that involves like a, a racket or a club, so you've got golf, you've got tennis, um, fencing, like whatever else, like it's object manipulation. Like you have, you have this thing in your hand that you're using as a tool, it's tool mm-hmm. use and object manipulation. And there's a certain level of um, coordination that goes into that. Now, I think most people have been um, familiar with what would be sports specific coordination. So the tennis racket, like the serve or whatever else, golf swing, all that stuff comes through. But like I mentioned with the ball, you get the feedback from the ball hitting the wall. You get the feedback from the the golf club hitting the golf ball. You get the feedback from the, the tennis racket hitting the tennis ball. You have this sense of like that worked really well, that was good or it wasn't and it does what you wanted it to do or it didn't. But this speed tool is this weight that sits in your hand and it gives you feedback through your whole chain as to whether you're moving it well or not. Um, when you're moving well, when you're using your legs and you're, you're balanced and you're rotating your torso well and your shoulders free, 
the tool actually feels really light and you can move it fast and you can stay balanced and you can be playful and energetic and fun with it. When you're trying to hold on for dear life and like move it through like really heavily with the own mu- with your muscles in your arm, like you get tired very quickly and it burns the shoulders, it burns the hand and it feels clunky. Mm. So the first exposure is usually more along that line of this clunky, uncoordinated, out of time, out of sync feeling. And then the more time you spend with it and the more time you play around with it, the lighter it starts to become and the more intuitive your body starts to be. But like that process is the same as like the Olympic lifting in a sense. Like it's, it opens a whole bunch of doors for you. But what I like about the speed tool the most is it's the only thing that I've come across. Probably one of the only things that I've come across in the, in the, like the gym world in the sense that allows the shoulder to fully like articulate and function like a shoulder should. Hmm. So if you think about um, like, if we look back through history, you had swords, you had clubs, you had all of these big swinging things. Like we protected ourselves with spears and we threw rocks at like, animals to kill them or we threw rocks at people to keep them away from us and it was how we manipulated these objects and how we moved with elasticity through our body that enabled us to do those things well and then now we don't have that we don't need to like we're domesticated cats i don't need to defend myself because i live in this ordered society i don't need to use my arm to hunt because i go to the supermarket like all that kind of stuff a bit of a tangent there but then i come back to this speed tool if i'm like throwing tool heavy or if i'm pretending it's a sword not that i do but like you can see these bigger movements and how they come together Mm. and how if you can keep continual rhythm with it if you can step with it if you can control it like it allows the shoulder to do these actions like a throwing action or a punching action or like a swinging action and it allows it to do it in conjunction with the rest of the body and it just feels like amazing like the way that your shoulders articulate and your thoracic spine moves and this sensation of like the body like pulsing and again in a sense through the spine how the hips rotate when you're doing it like Mm -hmm. it's it's a very interesting feeling when you get it right and when you do it well Mm, that sounds that sounds very interesting i'd I'd love to have a play around with it um what, what have you noticed it transferring or allowing you better to do outside of just using the speed tool? Um, so, well, I can throw a ball now. Which is <laughs> I, I played, I played rugby as a kid. Right. And I, um, I was what I would consider like a good physical player. So I could tackle and I could run. But when it came to like the skill parts of the game, like kicking a ball well or passing a ball where the ball needed to go, I wasn't the best at that. Um, and when it came to like playing cricket or t-ball or something like that, like I never really got into it. I never did it. So as a kid, I was terrible at throwing a ball Mm. and now like I've got really good arm and I can throw it really far. I throw a ball really far and I'm relatively accurate and that's new. Like that's within the last like 18 months, which for me feels wicked because it was something that I remember as a kid being quite ashamed about the fact Mm. that I couldn't throw a ball very far. Um, like if I do anything, like we went to play volleyball with the gym the other day um, and one similar sort of thing. Like when it comes to volleyball, I used to be able to run around and dive and all that kind of stuff. But if I wanted to serve the ball into a specific area of the court, I could never do it very well. And now I can. Um, and was walking, that just something that 
you know, you just picked up and you're just like, ah, oh, I can do this now or. Yeah. hundred percent. So I, I used okay. to play social volleyball with my dad when I was like 18, 19, 20, before I went backpacking. Um, and similar sort of thing, like, yeah, I was okay, but I wasn't great. Um, and then when I came back from, um, like, not sorry, when I came back, we went to the volleyball with um, some of the crew from Aspen as a social thing. And I went into the court and they were throwing it around and just hit it. And I was like, holy shit, like it went exactly where it went, where I wanted it to go. Like my arm hit it really well. Mm. It's one of those things that sounds like it's extremely anecdotal, obviously. It's hard yep. to measure, but it just feels different. So there's lots of little like coordinated things that feel different as a result of doing this process and how's your how's your opposite arm yeah it's getting better it's definitely getting better so the left arm um a while ago like before i was on um on the fm training program i had this idea that i wanted to try and get my left arm to be as proficient as my right arm at a lot of things um and it's still clunky but it's definitely better and what do you notice in terms of like when you view your body movement when you coordinate on your opposite side as to to your right side what are the main sort of differences that make it you know less efficient um you know when you pick up a ball and you throw it with your left hand and nothing makes sense yeah (laughs) that's that's essentially it um yeah like the the rotation doesn't make sense the way that you move your feet doesn't make sense like you hold your arm differently um like this is like, unless someone's played with the coordinations, this part's probably not going to make too much sense. But if I have my arm nice and long and I swing it, there's a certain mm-hmm. amount of time it takes me to swing my arm. Mm-hmm. And then that time allows me to have like a rhythm and it allows me to slow things down. But if I shorten my arm, so I swing it quicker, everything speeds up and I don't have as much time. Mm-hmm. Generally tend to find like if I'm like, if you get someone to throw a ball with their left hand, they hold the hand in really close to their body and they like throw it real quick or mm. they try and throw it with just their arm and their body doesn't do that. doesn't do what it needs to do. And it's the same with the speed tool. Like you hold it in tight. You don't rotate your body as well. Like you don't get that same feeling, but once you get like a simple thing down, you can kind of feel that time come. You can feel that weight mm. shift come. Mm, and it so- makes a bit more sense. So yeah, it's, it seems like you because you're kind of confused with your, that imaging of space. So you want it closer to your body so that you can kind of almost feel that it's there. Right. Like, uh, I know that, that, that kind of feels that, like for me when I try and, um, throw, throw the ball, but how, how about your perspective on, you know, like very famous is like from the keto sort of side about this emphasis on, on prehab rehab tools, you know, like doing heaps of Cubans, single, external single arm external rotations all, all this sort of stuff um now with your knowledge coming from you know work such as like from, from this do you still place a lot of emphasis or do you use these tools regularly or is that sort of shifted um it depends on the like the for me personally i don't anymore mm. um depends on the person so if someone's coming in like and you're doing proprioceptive work where you're trying to get them to feel a certain muscle in their back then definitely they have a really good efficacy in that situation and if someone's got like a really big deficiency so they've overdeveloped a certain part of their body and you're trying to like get it to balance out a little bit then they have their their role there um but for me now like i very rarely use like cuban rotations or trap three raises or any of that kind of stuff in my training because like that part of my own body is already developed enough. Like Mm. 
you scroll back through my Instagram feed far enough, like I had a fucking turtle shell of the back. Like it was just muscle upon muscle and pub upon muscle. It was overdeveloped. Mm. I didn't have that much movement through my spine. Like I had scoliosis. I used to get pain a fair bit, especially between my, um, my shoulder blades. I used to get this like radiating pain that used to come from that. And then every now and then I get like a, it would go and I'd be sort of out for a couple of days. I wouldn't be able to do too much. With the stuff that I'm doing now, like allowing the shoulder blade to move freely around the rib cage, allowing the shoulder blade to sit on top of the rib cage instead of being held up, like shoulders up towards the ears. Um, and then allowing like the arm to feel more like a whip. So you get that complicated expression to the shoulder blade. Like an example I'll give, I'm going to go back to the ball throwing again, but everyone knows how to elevate their shoulder or depress their shoulder or protract or retract who's done like that gymnastic strength base. Mm. And we're very good at holding those positions when we need to. But if you picture the actual movement and articulation of the shoulder blade, when you are throwing a ball or throwing a punch or tackling someone or wrestling, like it's not protraction or retraction or elevation or depression. It's kind of going through its own little whip like action, right? If you can get the shoulder blade to move, if you can get the muscles around the shoulder blade to feel free to articulate, if you can get the spine to move as well from that freedom through the arm, it usually helps with issues through the shoulder heaps because mm. you can feel these muscles let go and they're actually able to express themselves rather than just being held tightly in one position. Mm. But once again, with the, the isolated strength exercises stuff, like their place and their time is for people that are doing rings, people that are doing handstands or people that are wanting to get stronger at certain expressions of strength. Whereas if you, if you have like a basic um, issue within your shoulder and you allow the shoulder to move better, generally you get everything around it free up a little bit better. Mm, yeah definitely i've um i've definitely experienced myself when you just like your scapula feels a little bit restricted and when it starts gliding over it just it's just generally like the tensions like the neck or something start start slipping right way right and yeah. then then it's like your non-training life improves because you just don't have to think about that throbbing pain or or that annoying sort of thing that kept on happening right so yeah, yeah. Very cool. Uh, so one thing I did want to sort of uh, ask you about was, you know, I jumped on your Instagram profile and there's a statement there, which says, you know, I see far too many people dismiss exercise as something for vanity alone. My, my goal is to change that. So yeah. yeah ha- uh, how have you arrived to, to this sort of point? Um, how's that all going? Um, all right. So <laughs> I'm not very active on Instagram. Um, one of my biggest problems with myself on Instagram is I can be quite comparative, I think. Um, I like to talk about what I'm doing now as being better than what I was doing in the past, and that's really bad in like little soundbite clips. So I don't like my own voice on, on social media. I don't think I do it too well. Mm. Um, but like I mentioned before, like one of the things that I'm fascinated with is the mental health side of, of training. So how you can change your circumstances and change the way you view the world because of how you express your body and all of that kind of stuff. And then I'm also like fascinated through my own journey of how you can change the way your body physically feels like the, um, like I didn't know if you've seen the, the before and after um, photo of my back with the scoliosis from like three or four years ago mm-hmm. versus now, like when I was 21, like I was regularly, like I'd say every three to six months, I was regularly like 
my back would go every three days where I couldn't move properly and I felt like an old man and then it would kind of be okay again. Happened a couple of times when I was backpacking. Um, and then when I came back from backpacking, I was working on the mines as a, as a mm. laborer and it used to happen a lot there as well. And then what got me into um, training and treatment and all of that kind of stuff was this desire to get my back to feel better. So I started doing like, uh, I was getting occupational therapy, soft tissue release on my back regularly. Um, I started seeing an osteopath and I saw these practitioners like every week um, for years, basically. And then my training kind of started to line up with that a lot better. So my back became a lot better. And then everything that I did has been guided towards me feeling like a lot freer and a lot better through my back. And then, um, yeah, basically when that statement came out, like, I think I was doing a lot of like reading into the way that your brain reacts to physical training, um, the way that your endorphins change and, um, your, um, what are they called again? like serotonin and all that, my brain's gone right out of the window. Brain, brain uh, neurotransmitters. Yeah, neurotransmitters, how they, how they will um, adapt when you're, when you're training. And then obviously the way that my body feels, like I, I think or I, I know or I have an opinion that uh, moving your body is far better than getting just treatments. So you can go and get a massage and feel better for a short period of time, but then you're going to be reliant on that release week in, week out, week in, week out. Whereas if you can move your body and relate to your body differently, it gives you a sense of, all right, this is a good thing for me. This is a bad thing for me. And your body can evolve and you can feel better. And then the um, chronic pain that you're feeling or the pain that you're feeling in general can be changed through the way that you move your body on a regular basis. So when I said like my goal is to change the vanity thing, it was more along the lines of I think the majority of people that will go into a gym are doing it because they want to look a certain way or they want to change the way their physique is. And that's like fine. That's great. Like if that's what your goal is, go for it. But if you allow that definition of your training to incorporate like moving better, feeling better, thinking better, not thinking better, but like experiencing your own brain better as well, like that can be like, a blanket of improvement rather than just the exercise kind of thing. And I think another thing for me with that is there's still like, I've been a, a PT for like 10 years now. There's still that stigma or that feeling from some people, like it's not a real job. Like you're, you're just doing the thing that you like doing because you want to look good. And it's like, mm. no, there's way more to it than that. Mm, yeah. I there is sometimes a little bit of that, of that stigma, isn't it? But um, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, so when we was talking in our messages before this sort of chat, yeah, you did ask me an interesting question, which I want to mirror back onto you, um, yeah. which is if you could write a book, what would the title of that book be? <laughs> I think I've got a few, few for that. I think, Realistically, like one of them, um, if I was ever going to write a book, it would be the other 23 hours because um, in the world that I exist in, like I'll get someone that will come into the gym for an hour a day or an hour a week and they expect that one hour a day or that one hour a week to change everything. But that one hour a week is never enough. It's obviously the things that you do outside of that hour that are going to have the biggest impact. So how you stand, how you sit, how you think, how you breathe, what you eat. Um, all those kind of things like they all add up way more than just that one hour of physical expression a day so i would i would jump into that 
Mm, yeah, it is really funny, right? Like with the uh, expectations sometimes of like that, that one hour is going to lead me to that complete self-transformation with, well, it better be a bloody good hour, but um, it's probably, <laughs> <laughs> probably too much of an ask for most people. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man, for sure. But that's another thing. Like I, I, I realize like I, I don't have kids, all right? So I don't have like that massive time commitment on me just yet. So I realize that when you say that, like the, the one hour that someone's coming into a gym or whatever, like sometimes that's all people have. They've got three kids at home or they, you know, their work is like crazy and that's all they can afford to put into it. I think that that shouldn't be the case. I reckon everyone should, should be far more active throughout their life, but sometimes that's all they've got. So they've got to make the most of it. Yeah. Okay. So. Maybe before my, my final question, was there any other sort of thoughts or ideas that have been floating through your mind recently that you wanted to share? Probably like if I can express something, I was thinking about this as we've been chatting, if I could express something from earlier in the conversation, perhaps a little bit better. Um, we were talking about mental health and training and we were talking about that whole journey there. Um, I think you asked me if, if uh, my, um, if my, if I directed my energies towards something um, before. And I think if I was to, to accurately sum up like how I directed my energies, it would, would be along the lines of it. I kind of learned over time to use my depression as a compass that pointed me towards the things that I was ignoring or the things that I, I knew I needed to do better. Um, so I used to feel um, like depression and all of that kind of stuff, like quite badly and quite, regularly and over time it's got less and less and less and less and less as I've tackled some of the bigger issues within my own life um and I think that depression as like a as a as an emotional um like as an emotion rather that's experienced on a regular basis can if you can engage with it well can enable you to to have a look at everything that is going on in your life and potentially make changes. Like that's not always the case. Some people really struggle and they have like the chemical imbalances and all that, that makes it like really hard. But if you're experiencing depression as like a, as an emotional state on a regular basis, like I think that you can use that to say, all right, something about what I'm doing right now isn't necessarily working for me. And I need to figure mm. out what that is. Mm. Yeah. It's kind of like there's you're getting that feedback into your, subjective experience which is kind of telling you that you, you need to change something right so yeah. yeah um yeah i did want to ask you know for for a young glenn robson you know who's maybe like teenage or maybe let's say like pre-teenage years you know when you were young uh if you met your sort of older self now would well, what do you think a young glenn robson would would say to yourself right now would he be impressed or <laughs> how would he be um, <laughs> I think a younger Glenn Robson would probably look at the way that I train and think, what the fuck are you doing <laughs> in all reality? Um, but I think like, I, I think that I'm like, I'm probably one of the luckiest people on the planet. Like I'm super stoked with how my life is at the moment. Like my ability to, to turn my uh, passion into a profession and the fact that I get to do what I love day in, day out is, is something that I, I'm really grateful for. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe he'd be maybe he'd be proud but embarrassed at the same time. 
<laughs> cool, man. Well, maybe if you could share just like what, what you're up to, you know, in the, in the very near future and that if anyone uh, who connects with uh, what you were saying in this chat wants to get in chat, touch, what's the best way to shoot you a message? Um, yeah, so I don't, um, I don't go on Instagram and Facebook as much as I probably should. I check them probably like once or twice a week. But if someone reaches out via Instagram or Facebook, that's always an easy one to get back to. Um, and pretty much everything I'm doing is, is going to be at Aspen for now. Um, I can't see myself leaving the state anytime soon, especially with a, a little baby on the way next year. So, but yeah, if anyone wants to get in contact, that would be great. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for sharing your insight and your time today. Glenn, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you, man. Appreciate it. And that's it. That's episode 35 of The Passive Hang. I really appreciate Glenn jumping on, sharing his time, sharing his story. There were a couple of tough moments, I think you could sense, with him reflecting back on his past. And I really appreciate the way that he opened up and shared both his struggles, but his realizations from that period. And I think there's a lot that we can gain from those stories. Hope you guys enjoyed. I really appreciate you guys listening in once again, tuning in week in, week out. I've got a lot more guests for you. And if you have any questions or would love to get in touch, please send me a message. You can find my details on the website, thepassivehang.com, or you can go on Instagram at P. that's at P-H-A-O-N-P, and then send me a direct message. I'll respond quickly. Once again, got a lot of exciting guests and a lot of exciting plans for The Passive Hang. So stay tuned and I'll see you in the next episode.